unfuckers and subfuckers, nose-breathing Milton bangers, welcome back. Welcome home. Your responses to the Cuba Not So Libre episode were wonderful, and I was surprised and delighted by many of you sharing your own experiences of Havana. To the loyal, the faithful, my Milton-loathing hermanos y hermanas, the early adopting unfucking soldiers helping to carry the word of FMF to the masses, I salute you. Bear with us for 30 seconds as we welcome a slew of new unfuckers, this time from the Young Turks. Unfucking the Republic examines the policies of the United States through political, economic, and socioeconomic lenses to try and dismantle the worst of our neoliberal tendencies. Neoliberalism is the primary disease that we treat, though our fair republic is beset and besieged by a host of others, some related, others not. Overall, we try to stay in our lane and offer fresh information or present old information with a fresh perspective, a human one. Our tone and approach is progressive in nature, we're more pragmatic than dogmatic, and we pride ourselves on research and dispensing a liberal amount of profanity when the situation calls for it. Each month, we release two or three long-form deep dives into a single issue, though we've built enough of a library that we're honing in on some pretty well-established themes. Ten bucks says he brings up Milton Friedman. Right about... One of those themes, of course, is our collective disdain for the one and only... Now. Milton Friedman. Sorry, Manny, did you have something to add? No, no. All good here. Keep going. Well, if you haven't met him, that's Manny Faces, our engineer extraordinaire. And by this time, I can tell you, he's more than an engineer. He's a super fan. He loves the show. Eh, I get paid per episode. In the middle of our shows, we typically have a palate cleanser, a bit of silliness that lets us say the things we really want to say, but shouldn't in polite company. And once a month, we release a quickie. These are lighter takes on more current events tied together by three related things. Could be people, policies, events, what have you. Unfuckers who would like the essays the episodes are framed around can join us over at Substack and become subfuckers. As for today's episode, this is our final unfucking building block that will culminate in our Chicago School of Economics episode, where we really give a hard pound to Uncle Nippledick. Between today's show and our Chi-Town episode, we'll be updating the feed with a teaser that pulls together the highlights and themes from several episodes to serve as a primer. So today, this final piece in our neoliberal mosaic is something called Conscious Capitalism. Note up top that we're speaking to this as a concept and not an institution or marketing framework. I have to disclaim this because conscious capitalism is actually trademarked, and it has a book and a website and people who work there and all sorts of handy-dandy things to help you navigate the socially responsible mission and purpose-driven landscape of thoughtful leadership, sustainability, and stewardship, stakeholders, and sunshine blown right up your fucking asshole. This is the story of a political pundit Who looked at the world around him and just said fuck it Gives the middle finger to authority and says kiss my ass But instead of a revolution he started a podcast Just what the world needs Another basic white guy But it's fun because he curses Unfucking the Conscious capitalism as a concept, the thing that was trademarked and based on a book of the same name and is now a corporation with chapters around the world, is an idea formulated by Whole Foods founder John Mackey and Professor Raj Sisodia. Here's the textbook definition. 
The Conscious Capitalism Credo acknowledges that while free market capitalism is the most powerful system for social cooperation and human progress, people can aspire to achieve more. It does not minimize profit-seeking, but encourages the assimilation of all common interests into the company's business plan. Four core principles guide a conscious business or other organization that practices conscious capitalism. These four principles, higher purpose, a stakeholder orientation, conscious leadership, and conscious culture, support entrepreneurs and business leaders to create value for all. <sighs> you know, I've said it before on the show, I like Whole Foods. No, I fucking love Whole Foods because I'm a bougie coastal lib. Also, I fucking hate this guy with all my bougie might. He's another one of those free market shills who's cherry-picked Adam Smith to suit his model and believes in the almighty libertarian philosophy of leave me the fuck alone and let the free market decide our fate as if the free market has ever existed. Spoiler, it doesn't and never has. I'm going to do something here that is a little out of format for us because I came across a clip of Mackie speaking about capitalism that is so utterly craven in its attempt to misdirect and propagandize capitalism, it's stunning. So we're going to break down the highlights to show you what a master propagandist really does and why Mackie's notion of conscious capitalism is so fucking dangerous. For good measure on fuckers, old Mackie the Knife is also a big fan of Uncle Milton. Now before we open Mackie's mouth and dump down his neck, let me assure you that there are really good companies out there truly doing the work. Companies that honor diversity and equity. Organizations that exist to improve and enrich the lives of their employees and their customers. And even a precious few that make the world a better place. Like Sincerely. We'll talk about these companies and some authentic movements towards higher consciousness and business. But Mackey's version ain't it. And I'll show you why. We've actually blown up a lot of the mythology he's spewing in this clip, hilariously titled Why Intellectuals Hate Capitalism, but he spreads his shit on a platter for us. <laughs> like a poo-poo platter. Yeah, just like that. Now, before I do, you might be thinking, what's the big fucking deal, Max? Why go after purportedly good companies that are trying to elevate consciousness and behave in a more ethical manner? Essentially, it comes down to this. Conscious capitalism as a precept is wholly voluntary. As such, it makes it prone to greenwashing and manipulation because, as we'll address, absent a consistent regulatory framework to prevent the blind accumulation of wealth, corporations will cut corners and play to our worst tendencies. Mackey characterizes this as a misplaced obsession of intellectuals, jealous of their diminished social standing next to the moneyed class. And as usual, he leans on the classic trope that innovation and the betterment of humanity is a direct result of capitalism. Let's dig in. Intellectuals have always disdained commerce. The intellectuals have always sided kind of with the aristocrats to maintain a society where the business people were kind of kept down. You might say that capitalism was the first time the business people kind of caught a break because of Adam Smith and the philosophy that came along with that and the Industrial Revolution began this huge upward surge of prosperity. So he begins with his disdain of the intellectual class and invokes Adam Smith, the economist most associated with our modern notion of capitalism. In our capitalism episode, we unpacked a fair bit of Smith along with his contemporaries, and one of the conclusions that we drew was that anti-intellectual sentiment is distinctly counter to Smith's notion of progress. 
So Mackey's concept here is a fairly modern perversion of his work. In fact, Smith believed that two of the primary outcomes of a proper capitalist model are the ability to create a generalized welfare state where no one falls through the cracks, and that it's the responsibility of wealthy individuals to support intellectualism, academia, and the arts. The second part of his thesis, that the Industrial Revolution ushered in a surge of prosperity, is belied by the facts. The Industrial Revolution was anything but a capitalist endeavor if the goal, according to Smith, was to create a generalized welfare state. Smith and nearly every other theorist, including our beloved Milton, also understood that any system that allowed for monopolies to exist and drive commerce was decidedly anti-capitalist. This period, which Mackey credits as a corollary of capitalism, was rife with monopolies that created horrific conditions for the working class and was marked by a new kind of abject poverty and health concerns that relate to industrialization. It was also, until the past few decades, the largest period of inequality. As we addressed previously, one of the limitations of Smith was his agrarian-centric philosophy, which is why the Industrial Revolution gave rise to the theories of Marx and Engels and the need for a more human approach to capital. So next, the interviewer sets up Mackey to explain why entrepreneurs who find success try to game the system when they're at the top. Take a listen. And then what happens that once they get to a certain point of uh, influence or power, then they start to try and rig the market or freeze the market in their favor? I don't know if it's a psychological switch so much as that they necessarily weren't necessarily grounded in the philosophy of capitalism. They weren't necessarily uh, advocates of the free market. They were just advocates of their own uh, advancement, their own uh, personal enrichment. And uh, so I think oftentimes they don't, make a distinction between when they're entrepreneurs on the way up versus when they've arrived and they're attempting to not fall. So they try to rig the game and we have crony capitalism that way. Now, I should note that this interview is taking place on Reason TV, which is a purely libertarian outlet. So a lot of these questions and, you know, the softball nature of them kind of makes sense. So in this clip, Mackey introduces the idea of crony capitalism, which he's railing against as if to say, no, 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 that's not the way to do this. Now, the question is directed at the business person who makes it big and then fights to essentially hoard wealth and game the system. Crony capitalism refers to corrupt bargains between government and big business. So I have a problem with appending the word capitalism to this concept at all. So let's start there. What this should really be called is a plutocracy, which is indeed much closer to what we have today. And we've argued before, very little of what Mackey refers to as capitalism, the complete absence of government intervention or regulation, or the idea of consolidating power and wealth in a plutocracy resembles the capitalist system. So Mackey's really just confusing the issue with a misdirect, either because he doesn't understand the economics of capitalism or he's doing it on purpose. The next stretch of the interview is a discussion about minimum wage and a fictitious employee named Tom. Should Tom work at $10 an hour or 10 cents an hour? The government wants to mandate 15 an hour, and that's just not fair. Because in Mackey's purple sky planet, he should be able to pay what the market will bear because Tom can choose to work anywhere. The standard argument that workers have the right to choose any job they wish because of market freedom. No one in Mackey's world has any restrictions on movement or other preconditions. I'm going to play his response to this and then play you what another CEO that will be important to us had to say. Here's Mackey first. The competition between employers sets wages. 
when the government sets it, it's inevitably going to screw it up. It's going to set them too high. And so a company like Whole Foods Market, if let's say they say the minimum wage is $15, but Tom's only worth $10 to us, well, what we'll do is we'll restructure our marketplace so that we'll provide less service. I mean, we're actually a very high service supermarket, but if they make service too expensive, so our customers aren't willing to pay for it, then the, the rational, logical thing to do would be to cut back, do less service, do more self-service, make people queue up in lines longer so that we can keep our labor costs under control so we can be competitive in the marketplace. So he's talking about price pressure because of having to pay people higher wages. The other company was faced with a similar problem. In order to create the least harmful product with the best sourcing possible and to compensate people fairly in the process, they knew it would be more expensive. Here's this CEO's rationale. Over the years, we've asked enough questions so that we've pretty much cleaned up our whole supply chain. It's more expensive to do that, but as it turns out, our customers really appreciate that. They appreciate the fact that we're doing all the work for them and sorting out what is the least harmful way to dress. We'll talk about this guy a little later. Let's finish with Mackey and his theory of conscious capitalism before we widen our lens a bit and incorporate some additional concepts. Back to the interview. When does it all end, huh? How many yachts can you water ski behind? How much is enough? It's not a question of enough, pal. It's a zero-sum game. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Oop, sorry, wrong clip, but not really. Uh, if you mandate certain benefits, then the cash compensation is going to be less. Oftentimes, we'll, you'll see studies that show that real wages are stuck. Well, but real wages and benefits aren't stuck, but you don't necessarily see that. Ah, the old, but their benefits argument. On this, dear unfuckers, we just get to call bullshit. In the three decades following World War II, hourly compensation of workers rose 91%, pretty much in line with productivity growth. But since the 80s, hourly compensation for a typical worker rose 9%, while productivity increased 74%. This gap now even includes college and non-college educated workers, blue collar and white collar, because over the past decade, the wage gains have gone exclusively to the top 1%, with CEOs taking an outsized piece of even that sliver of pie. Oh, and these figures include wages and benefits. So fuck you, Mackie. He's just lying. There's more fuckery in this interview, but you get the picture. This is the false prophet behind the movement that is conscious capitalism. Before we leave Mackey, let's look at the official conscious capitalism organization for a moment, since it's yet another entrepreneurial enterprise seeking to capitalize on the push for deregulation and free markets. The board of directors on the organization has some pretty awesome figures on it. People like Safwan Shah of PayActive, Joseph Kenner of Grayston Bakery, and Burt Jacobs from Life is Good. Solid companies that help lift people out of poverty, provide livable wages, or companies deeply, deeply committed to equity or sustainability. It also boasts directors like the CEO of plastic goods retailer, The Container Store, and DTE Energy, a fossil-first company that has racked up more than $17 million in environmental fines since 2000. And there's the problem with an entirely voluntary movement that relies on our so-called better angels to lead the way. For every Grayston bakery that is truly doing mind-blowing work to alleviate poverty and reshape the way we think about employment in this country, there's a company that knows how to work the system and greenwash their terrible actions that harm people and planet. 
Now, the clip we played earlier was of the CEO that is arguably the most admired executive in America, Yvonne Chouinard, founder of Patagonia. Here he is talking about profits in the context of Patagonia's mission. My livelihood is based on people going into the outdoors. I feel like I have more responsibility than the average person in protecting those outdoors. And so we take 1% of our sales, which means that even if we have a non-profitable year, we still have to give the money away. I don't look at it as philanthropy. It's a cost of doing business. I honestly think that most CEOs, most entrepreneurs, small business owners, anyone responsible for a company and people's livelihoods want to be Yvonne Chouinard. But it's hard. It takes time. And sometimes you have to sacrifice profit to attain this level of success and pure goodness in the world. And we're still talking about a company that has a footprint. It's not perfect, but its ethos is such that it's always striving to be perfect or at a minimum, do no harm protect the people and the planet that sustains them. And when other CEOs cry that they have to protect profits at all costs, the maxim propagated by Uncle Dickhead, I refer you back to our corporate irresponsibility episode where we demonstrated that these are the same fucking CEOs that are holding $10 trillion trillion (laughs) offshore to avoid and evade paying taxes in the United States. Alexandria, it's Marjorie. Come out and play, you fucking libtard. What you doing, giving abortions to socialists in there? God, I love being in Congress. Just doing the work on behalf of my constituents and the Lord Jesus Christ. Nancy, it's me, MTG. Watch out, we're coming to storm the Capitol again. Oh, <laughs> God, I love this job. Hey, team, sorry I'm late. Just making my rounds. Hey, how you doing, Maddie G? Uh, <laughs> Lauren won't show me her boobs. Oh, Lauren, you know Maddie needs some titty if he's going to concentrate at the meeting. Well, that's the spirit, Bobert. Why, Louie Gomert, my best fucking friend, has it hanging. Hey, y'all. Good to see you, Marjorie. Hi, Hey, Lauren. Hey, Matt. Uh, I thought there'd be more chicks here. Oh, I almost forgot. I brought representatives Omar and Jayapal just for you, Gatesy boy. Bound and gagged, of course. Uh, you said gagged. Are they over 18? Only one I couldn't catch was that AOC, but I'll get her yet. Let's call this meeting to order. On the agenda today is to find a new name for our America First Caucus that hides our blatant racism but still gets our point across. Hmm. How about the Fourth Reich? Uh, (laughs) what's a Reich? Too obvious. I was thinking more like the Blue Crux Plan. Blue for police, Crux for crucifix, and Plan for the final solution. Uh, (laughs) I don't get it. Can I take their gags off? (laughs) Focus, Matt. Hmm, it seems a little complicated, Louie. Oh, what's that, Lauren? Lauren brought a list. Hang on. Well, here's what Bobert has down. Really? Oh, my gosh. Well, apparently these are from Air Donald himself. Let's see. We've got W-O-C, Whites Only Caucus. Too obvious. 
the Proud Boys and Girls. Do derivative. Make America great again and again and again. Too long. All right. Well, the last one is cans. Uh, <laughs> cans. <laughs> I like cans. Are they young cans? Uh, <laughs> sounds promising. What's it stand for? Let's see. Confederate Aryan Nazi sympathizers. Uh, <laughs> even I know that's a bit much. And I'm a pedophile. Conscious capitalism isn't the only movement or initiative to clean up the image of capitalism in the U.S. There's a growing trend in the investment community, for example, to divest of companies and portfolios that trade in certain industries. For example, many of the largest investment vehicles have eliminated firearms manufacturers, while others have even removed fossil fuel companies from their strategies. The two primary investment concepts are generally referred to as ESG and SRI. The former stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance the latter for socially responsible investing. Now, ESG is a wide net fairly open to interpretation. It's a welcome trend in that it helps divert meaningful investor cash away from traditionally harmful industries, but a deeper examination proves that it's mostly performative. All you have to do is look at the mother of all managers, Vanguard. Vanguard dipped its toe into ESG and so far it's performed admirably, though it's young. As of this month, it has slightly more than $13 billion in assets, and this year has returned more than 10%. First off, $13 billion is, as we say, pissing in the ocean to warm it up. But it's a start. And a 10% return ain't too shabby, even if it's underperforming the S&P. Oh well. At least it's investing in good companies that make the world a better place, right? Sure. Let's look at their top 10 holdings that make up 30% of their assets. We've got Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet, that's Google, Alphabet Class C shares, Tesla, JP Morgan Chase, Visa, and United Health. Hmm. Okay, well, maybe they're an outlier. Tell you what, let's look at Calvert, because they specialize in responsible investing. So, as of this month, their top 10 holdings are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Tesla, JP Morgan Chase, Visa, Disney, Nvidia, and MasterCard. Shit. Ooh, wait, wait, wait. I know. BlackRock. Let's look at BlackRock. Huge firm. I mean, top of the top. They, too, have an ESG fund. So let's see. Performance. Key facts. Ah, yes. Top 10 holdings. <clears throat> We've got Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, Alphabet Class C, JP Morgan Chase, Tesla, NVIDIA, and Johnson & Johnson. So you can see where I'm going with this, right? Socially responsible investing was intended to be more deliberately focused, an effort to try and promote direct investment into change agent industries like renewable energy companies. Now, there are a number of private equity and venture capital firms that do just this with intent. On the whole, the impact is marginal, but it's real. For the most part though, SRI has kind of mixed with ESG and the big boys have really taken over. Here's a statement from Betterment, an online platform designed to entice younger investors that don't want to deal with the brokerages, money managers, and wirehouses. It's next-gen investing that's cool because you're in control, fuck the man, and all that. They have an SRI platform as well that includes, ready? Microsoft, Google, Procter & Gamble, Merck, Coca-Cola, Intel, Cisco, Disney, and IBM. In other words, Betterment's SRI option is nearly 
indistinguishable from virtually any other run-of-the-mill large-cap investment fund. Let's go a step further to explore another level of hypocrisy and bullshit. You heard a bunch of this in the two-parter on corporate irresponsibility, so this is just another twist of the knife. Let's pick two companies that make the list of the top 100 corporate air polluters and toxic companies in the United States, Dow Chemical and Coke Industries. We'll start with Coke Industries because, well, we all know how fucking shitty they are. We've covered their malfeasance before as the most pernicious polluter and politically abhorrent company maybe ever. But here's the opening salvo of their corporate responsibility statement. For us, creating value goes far beyond economic performance. It means doing the right thing in the right way, always. For our customers, for our employees, for our communities, for our environment. You feel like you want to throw up? Okay. The EPA and its infinite fucking wisdom has even bestowed awards on some of the Coke divisions, which they tout endlessly on their website. Now here's the lead on Dow Chemical's fucking sustainability page. We believe the next breakthrough is only a moment of inspiration away, and that many perspectives, united in partnership, will make it a reality. That principle informs our full-hearted commitment to collaboration, research, diversity, and sustainability. Oh, give me a fucking break, your Dow fucking chemical. This with a straight face. After settling with the EPA and Justice Department in January of this fucking year, for a cool $294 million stemming from violations in Texas and Louisiana for flaring practices at petrochemical plants that spew volatile organic compounds into the air. Two states. Jesus. ESG, SRI, impact investing, these buzzwords have caused a great deal of consternation among conservatives and liberals who have called bullshit. It's one of the only times I can recall being aligned with a douchebag like John Stossel. But libertarians like Stossel object to the fanciful nature of anything that destroys free will among the business class. They see this as a way for people like Al Gore to line his pockets by selling snake oil that meddles with the free markets. Now, liberals that call bullshit do so over the performative nature and know that this is a scam to line the pockets of Wall Street firms that are just packaging the same shit under a different name. They're both right. And they're both missing the larger picture. We need systemic change. All around us, even in areas of industry that have made great advances, we have miles to go. Sustainable farming, free-range poultry, organic produce, there are improvements on a system that is still overwhelmingly bad and contributing to climate change. Cleaning the oceans will require more than cutting plastic six-pack rings or ditching straws. We need a wholesale change to eliminate all single-use plastics. Fast fashion is not only bad for the environment, it's bad for workers. Here again, there are solid trends emerging like secondhand marketplaces such as Poshmark or ThreadUp, or companies with outstanding practices like Patagonia or Eileen Fisher. Consumers and businesses can choose to work with B Corps, one of the more wholesome and positive business trends that measure companies on very high standards of environmental impact and DEI initiatives. You can buy your books on bookshop.org instead of Amazon, like we promote here on Unfucking the Republic. You can rent things like dresses from Rent the Runway or tools from Home Depot instead of buying them. You can buy local. Only purchase fair trade items. Go vegan. Find cruelty-free products on the Leaping Bunny app. See, as consumers, we do have options, but they're not entirely mainstream, which means they lack the convenience that Americans demand. It is what it is. 
You're not going to change our behavior because we're the fucking worst. But the corporations, they've had it their way. They've had it their way for a long time. And like many movements, the pendulum has swung so far in their direction, it's time to bring it back. Some would have you believe that conscious capitalism is indeed just this. That it's corporate America's way of reversing the tide to right itself. Well, it's not. It might be valiant and I applaud companies like Patagonia and Bombas Socks that have the fortitude to go on authentic journeys. But the inevitable greenwashing, performative corporate bullshit sheen is already taking root. Voluntary goodness is not a thing, not among the big guys. The big guys have sustainability departments, DEI divisions, compliance personnel, and the gravitas to make progress, but only to a point. They will always opt to minimize structural changes and maximize the publicity surrounding it, trust me. Because they know this much. In a new cycle with a 10-second attention span, they can probably wait out any negative impact and just pay the fucking fine, whatever it's for. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, this is our final building block before tackling the whole of neoliberal economic policies as it relates to the Chicago School of Economics. The reason I wanted to include this is because the greenwashing and performative change, especially on the DEI front and as it relates to sustainability, are largely publicity stunts designed to avert our eyes from the wholesale destruction of the planet and the ongoing repression of the working class in this country. It gives us yet another headline news item to fight over and distract us from the real work that is required to save the fucking planet, end homelessness and food insecurity, and provide a living wage. America isn't capitalist. There's only one Yvon Chouinard. Your 15 minutes are up, Milton. Here endeth the lesson. All right, unfuckers, remember that our brand new website will be live in just a few days, where you'll be able to pre-order some of our delicious native roasted coffee in partnership with Native Coffee Roasters from Puspatuck. We gave more details about it on Substack, so if you haven't become a subfucker yet, just remember to join us over there by signing up at unftr.substack.com. A lot of love for our Cuba episode and support by way of the Buy Us Coffee button on unftrpod.com. We've got Matt A., again, beyond excited for the coffee partnership. Keep everything up. He bought us five coffees. Thank you for that. Kryn, all right, Kryn bought us five coffees, said, okay, okay, I'll use PayPal to buy you coffee. See my next email for an incredible coincidence. We'll get to that in a second, Kryn. But quick message to Kryn and a few others who expressed their disdain for all things PayPal. I get it, and we've actually added a different payment gateway just in case. And of course, when our store goes live on the new site, you'll be able to bypass it altogether. Now, we'll come back to my buddy Kryn in a second. Uh, Lastly, I want to thank Big for the five coffees, who said, I enjoy your podcasts. They're stimulating. Well, there's only one Big that I know who would write this, and it ain't Mr. Big from Sex and the City. I love you, Big. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Breakfast with the Masters of the Universe is on me this summer. Scott C. over on Facebook said, Love these guys. They're good at what they do. Hey, Scott, thank you so much for that. We really appreciate that. We try hard, that's for sure. And, oh, Nettie, my Nettie. Nettie wrote us and said, While visiting my son for the first time in over a year, I introduced him to your pod. Once he heard your latest quickie, he grabbed the remote and loaded the pod before it. Then we listened to several more before I left. He, like me, laughed out loud. Great fun, great conversation. P.S. He's an Iraq war vet and has little hope for the future of humankind. But there's great need for truth-telling. Thank you for your work. 
Nettie, thank your son for his service. Thank you for listening and being so loyal and dedicated. And let's give a shout out to Outagami. On Twitter, we got Botox, who said, after listening to the recent Cuba episode of UNFTR, I had to share my love of it with friends. Thank you for that. And Wild-Eyed Bob said, cool to be mentioned on the UNFTR pod. My wife saves my life every day by drinking coffee. I look forward to trying some of yours in her efforts. Love always and FMF. Okay, a couple quick emails here uh, that we should dig into. Scotty B said, I've recently been listening to your amazing podcast and I need to know your opinion on 9-11 and whether or not you believe the official story, which I do not. The biggest smoking gun is Building 7. Uh, So delving into conspiracies for a moment, and I'm not staking a claim one way or another here, but doing that is a little bit out of my lane on this show. Now, as someone who lived in Manhattan on 9-11 and knew a lot of people affected by the tragedy directly, I'm going to punt on this, but I want to seed one point here. The government narrative is likely false to a great degree in that I believe that this was way more thought out and deliberate and our agencies were far more derelict than they let on. I do not believe the inside job theory. What I do know is that this event led to very traceable and trackable losses of our civil liberties, created an unbridgeable divide among our citizens, is responsible for our asymmetric response that led to hundreds of thousands of innocent civilian deaths abroad and the formation of a Norwellian surveillance state in the U.S. So that's about all I'm willing to do uh, as far as 9-11 goes. But I do thank you for writing in, and I hope that uh, we can keep you in the fold here as an unfucker. So now back to Crin. So Crin bought some coffee for us, right, and was the listener last week that wrote to us about the personal experience at University of Chicago. Well, another cool coincidence is that we were actually in Cuba around the same time. And he wrote us a great email and mentioned a similar experience with his guide, Oscar, and how he too loved Cienfuegos and also believed that Castro had him killed. Crin, thank you for being devoted to the show. I look forward to keeping up the coincidences. Celtic Apache, one of our more dedicated listeners who also shared that Cienfuegos is an admirable figure. I just want to read one quick excerpt that I love from the email. I said, so I stand in the center, engaging with people from every corner of the political spectrum, waiting for any side to get their shit together, admit where they fuck up and just do what's right rather than insisting that they're right. Celtic Apache, we should etch that in stone. I love that. I love that sentiment very, very much. Derek R. helps us wrap up our comments on Cuba. He sent an awesome email with a rather stellar photo from Cuba. Turns out we were also there around the same time. We had many of the same takeaways, but I want to share one thing he said. Cuban people on average may not have much, but what they do have, they're grateful for, and their basic, and I mean basic needs, are provided for. As the street poet Biggie Smalls said, mo money, mo problems. And no irony is lost on me that here in the land of opportunity, we're told that somehow we can't afford guaranteed basic universal protections that the supposedly downtrodden Cuban people have. Derek, here's hoping we can coordinate a trip one day and have a cigar. Maybe some of that amazing coffee that you wrote about. And, ah, that music. One review coming in this week. Hey, unfuckers, if you haven't left a review, that reminds me. If you can give us a review, that would be amazing. Dog fan for life said, heard this from David Pakman. Yes, another great person coming over from David Pakman. Appreciate that. He said, this is such a great podcast, truly entertaining, comedic, and enlightening all at once. A very cerebral analysis (laughs) of the American political system that is equally critical of both parties. Hey, well, thanks for that. And lastly, there's a comment on Podbean. Smolzburns said, keep going, my friend. The enemy of all government and private evil is the truth. Ain't that the truth? Thank you so much. As always, Unfucking the Republic is produced by Manny Faces Media. This one's for you, Aubrey Taylor.
Hashtag new grandbaby girl faces. Our theme music was composed by Tom McGovern. Visit TomMcGovern.com. The show is hosted by Sonny Crockett, pal, and distributed by Tom from Whole Foods. Send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions to UNFTRpod at Gmail, or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or at UNFTR.substack.com. 